0: Welcome to the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. I'm your host, Gary Durbin. I've been a worship leader for over 20 years and I've learned a lot from so many on this journey. On this podcast, we'll have conversations and explore the dynamics of leading worship in the local church. The concept of this podcast was inspired by my book, More Than a Worship Leader. But the concept of more than a worship leader was very much influenced by my dad. I grew up as a ministry kid and my dad was a music minister my whole upbringing. He served at seven churches in six states during his 40 plus years in ministry. And in 2014, he and my mom graciously stepped out of full time ministry and took care of my grandparents in their final years. Now my parents are retired and enjoying life together. On this episode, in honor of Father's Day, I decided to interview my dad and talk about some of the things he experienced in ministry and explore the principles and values that he instilled in me as a worship leader. I was so blessed to be able to sit down and do this, and I'm sure this will be a blessing to you as well. So here's my conversation with my dad, Dwight Durbin. Well, today it's my honor to say a special welcome to the podcast to my dad. Dwight Durbin. So, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Gary. A lot of time, I think people use worship ministry or music ministry as kind of a stepping stone to pastoring. You never actually went to that lead pastor position, but over 40 years in music ministry, worship ministry, six states, seven churches, I saw it all. So, Why don't we rewind and talk about your conversion to Christianity and then your eventual calling to ministry? Yeah, Gary, I was 12 years old when I was
1: introduced to a vertical relationship with God. I had a horizontal one, and I don't mean to sound anti-Catholicism, but I had my faith in a man, and I found out that I could trust the Lord, and uh, I was saved as a 12-year-old young man. And I doubted my salvation. Fifteen years old, I, I got it square. But during that time, I was growing, and I was very attentive in church. And that's how it all kind of began for me. And as I grew in my high school years, I started thinking about, the future being in the ministry.
0: Yeah, and this would have been back in the 60s, right? Yeah, graduated in 72. So, yeah, yeah. Back, back in the 60s, so late 60s. So. The church scene back there, back then, is you're a teenager in church, newly converted to Jesus, but it's not like today where you're looking up at the stage and seeing. A worship band and a worship leader or even there were uh, the staff looked a lot different right staffing at churches yeah it was a it was a smaller staff situation back in the in the days you know it was a pastor and an associate who wore a lot of hats what i remember you telling me is that there really wasn't a paid music minister or what we call worship leader now right 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 matter of fact uh
1: they had a couple of guys in the church and we were a pretty good sized church in our small town, but guys in the congregation would lead the congregational music. And then one would be a Sunday morning guy. One would be a Sunday night guy, but they were just lay guys in the church. And then after I went to college in 1972, BBC in Springfield, Missouri, they hired their first music director full time. And, you know, it's kind of grown from there, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was a time in my life that I was really excited about what in the world I could do for the Lord in the music ministry.
0: That's cool. So you go to Bible college, you uh, graduate from there, and then take us to the next step as you enter into full-time ministry.
1: Right. 1976, graduated, went to... Decatur, Illinois, which is just 30 miles from my hometown of Taylorville. And the first ministry there, church was running about 800. They were on TV every week or in radio every morning. I had a Christian school. I wore so many hats. I learned so much. I was overwhelmed. And uh, it was, I was overwhelmed to the point of tears one morning when I was taking the radio broadcast as I did every morning after we completed it up the road, 21 miles. And I heard a song called he was there all the time. Hmm. And I pulled off the side of the road I, because there was just so much going on in my life. Hmm. And uh, so I, I was just very busy. I, I thank the Lord for that time in my life. Cause I learned so much and uh, made me appreciate when the load got a little lighter later with maturity
0: mm-hmm. and experience. Yeah. And I've obviously known you my whole life and heard a lot of stories. I've never, I've never actually heard that story. Um, it reminds me of, you know, times in my ministry where I was, you know, overwhelmed and now we call it anxiety. We call it, um, even depression at times where it's like, we're so, so low and, and, uh, discouraged. And even we feel the weight of what we can't handle. Um, in that, what you're saying is that existed right back was, in the day. I was a newlywed, uh,
1: you were on the way. Yeah. And there was just so much on my plate, but, uh, that's what you did back those days. You just worked. And unfortunately there was a philosophy of God, church, and family in mm-hmm. that order.
0: Yeah, that I, I think what you're describing is what I would call kind of old school mentality. And there's good and bad with that, with the old school. The old school mentality, when I see someone in ministry and I identify them with kind of that old school mentality, the first thing I think of is hardworking and that they're not complaining, they're not, you know, they're, they're not protecting uh, themselves so much that they're thinking about others. The bad side of that is what you described, where sometimes we can put the church or the ministry in front of our family. And, you know, sometimes we will work for a pastor or a church leader that will absolutely let us do that, you know, and they, they're not looking out for our family. Right.
1: Right. And a lot of guys in my, oh, I don't know what you call them my class at school or whatever in college, uh. There's a lot of guys that in those early days, because of the demand on a new staff member in a church with the, the major conservative values, if you want to call them that, that didn't, they didn't survive. Their, their mates uh, felt pushed aside because of their work schedule. And uh, I said all that to say this, uh, it certainly honed my life to realize that how family was so much important to me, and uh, you know, I I worked through all of it, and it made me a better man because I was able to do that.
0: Yeah, well, and because I'm your son, I can like give I can give insight into your story because from my perspective, even though you had a lot of demands on you. In full time ministry, you're always at my ball games. You're always at the big things. Yeah, I always try to protect. Uh,
1: you know, my wife and Patty, and know, and and of now almost fifty years, but and 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 you and and your your brother Richard, I just always tried to protect you from the tough parts of it. Would I go back and change anything? Probably not. I mean, it was a stage of life. In the 60s, it was a conservative world, you know, much more. And so it was the way it was, the way you dressed. I mean, I'd wear a tie every week, every day at to at, at work, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's just everything changes over time. But thank God for, you know, the path that I was on. It certainly wasn't a bad path. <laughs>
0: no. Yeah. And I, I I view myself as a little bit of old school mentality because i came into the ministry when yeah you still had to wear suit and tie and maybe not in the office every day but when you got on that platform you gotta dress your best sunday best (laughs) right and so uh now i'm you know wearing jeans and t-shirt and and it's very casual. So anytime I hear anybody complain about anything with dress, I always laugh because I'm like, you have no idea, young person, about what it used to be like and what the demands were. So you had a 40 plus year ministry run. The whole time doing worship ministry, you did, I mean, pretty much everything from and you can help me with this. Like, I think of choirs, I think of hymns and congregational and quartets, Southern gospel, and then all the way to the contemporary worship era. You, you served and led through that. So.
1: Yeah. I was in a unique time where the worship music took over the hymns and the youth department was doing music. We didn't do in the church. and, and, uh, the you know, it was it was a time where I saw uh, the hymns felt I felt like I needed to insert back in the 80s. It was choruses. Then it became worship songs included with the hymns. But I always tried to keep a balance because I came into established churches established churches have established congregations and there's a lot of history there and I tried to shoot a shotgun with my music program based on the demographics so it was a it was a time where the 90s and the worship scene came on with with praise and worship music but I always thought and I always kept in my mind and I conveyed it to the folks the worship music is new I said amazing grace was new one time <laughs> so please you know Please accept and, and, and appreciate the news things that's come along because because he lives didn't go back to the twenties, you know, back in the early days. There's a lot of songs that we sang and they become really, really strong uh, uh, songs. But it was a it was a it was a it was a neat time because I watched the music change and yet I couldn't leave behind the hymns in my own ministries. And then I watched the hymns change themselves even. in the the style, and yet the melody lines and the truths in them, they all continued. I always thought that the worship music, as simple and vertical as it was, didn't replace the hymns. They were in addition to the hymns because Hmm. the hymns were loaded with the reasons why we worship. And the worship was something that we needed to have, you know, in the services. So, I always wanted to have an intimacy with God in the church services. Oh. And I always felt like as I stood on the platform and leading worship that I needed to go uh, and lead them, but worship up there myself at the same time. And I thought that was very important because you can't give chicken pox if you don't have them, so to speak, i always heard. But I wanted it to be so clear that that the people would understand how important different music is in the service themselves and appreciate a certain song that's not their cup of tea, but they look across the aisle and see another person getting something from it and be mature enough to accept that and say, hey, let's do something for him or her. And the next song, maybe do something more for me and to see it happen around you, regardless of the style. It was doxology one minute, and then four minutes later, it may be Chris Tomlin. It was just that's where it got to, and I felt good about it because I had felt like I had a balance in the ministry that I was in there. It's 16 years there, in Savannah was our last full-time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the idea of the teamwork between the, the old hymns and the new worship songs. I love that. That's a really cool thought about the fact that they don't have to go against each other, but they actually can work together. If we're, if we're really leading worship correctly— um, And so when I think about you and I, both worship leaders, anybody who knows us knows that we have distinctly different styles um, when it comes to music, worship, leading, and that is a simple explanation of eras and generations. (laughs) Um, Just a totally different generation that I grew up in, I really came up as the worship movement was starting so i came through the worship wars and all of that um whereas you were in the tail end of it and and were really had the heart to navigate and to help your church progress to that slowly i was the 20 year old coming up uh full steam ahead going let's go with the new stuff and and i was very very Excited about that. So, Hi, Gary, I
1: remember uh, asking you, you were a senior in high school, and I remember asking you, Gary, I, I, uh, the new music, you, you, you know, theres I, I, I get questions all the time. The new music, what does that do for you? I mean, the music the devil hated and still hates is the music that reaches people's hearts for God. I said, do you I asked you a question? Do,
0: Anyway. Yeah, you're talking about the contemporary.
1: Okay, yeah. So the, the contemporary music compared to the church music that we were using and I was trying to use new choruses then and and blending it even then. But but does does the music that you and your teenage friends is that music reaching your heart or is it just reaching your foot? Hmm. You know? And you said, "Dad, some of it does." And some of it doesn't, just like the hymn, some of it does, and some of it. I said to myself, that's all I needed because I had a lot of confidence in your judgment because you were ahead of the game in your maturity, in my opinion. And I always thought that so.
0: Hmm. Well, when I think about our worship leading careers, if you will, um, there's definitely some differences, but there's also some really, really big similarities. When I think about myself growing as a worship leader and i think about the influences on me you could obviously go to the matt redmond's you or the matt redmond uh tim hughes chris tomlin darling check paul Baloche. i mean those there's so many artists that really influenced me uh, uh, late 90s early 2000s but when people ask me like what is like Who is like the biggest influence on me? The first person I say is Dwight Durman. It's not, you know, Matt Redman, Tim Hughes, uh, Paul Belush. And, you know, some of it was musically. There's things that you taught me musically when I first got in. You taught me how to do choir. You gave me a crash course on that because I had to do choir for a while. But then there's vocal things. But here's what you taught me uh, more than anything. And that was what you just talked about was your ministry from the stage to the people it wasn't about you being an artist it wasn't about you looking good and sounding good you wanted to make sure that people were ministered to so i i took that and that when you say i had a heart for you know this music i didn't get that on my own i learned that you know from you so that leads us to more than a worship leader you know, you could argue that you are probably the biggest influence on this idea more than a worship leader. So what I want to do right now is I want to hit some things that you taught me. And there's going to be some quotes, a few quote, a couple quotes, and then, and, you know, idea or two, and then I'm going to say them and I'm going to compare it to the more than a worship leader concept. And I want you to respond to that. You'll probably be surprised about some of the things I remember, but, uh, in more than a worship leader, you talk about the offstage and the onstage idea. So offstage is about loving people offstage and then loving people onstage. So here's an offstage impact. Here's a quote that I remember you told me. And this was a long time ago, but I remember as a little kid, you telling me this. Uh, you said, people have their own lives going on that don't totally revolve around your ministry and you're talking about your volunteers you're talking about people who come in and volunteer in the choir so respond to that
1: well it's it's so true they don't have to be there especially those volunteers underneath you specifically in the music and i i have beat myself up a few times because i would sit there and when it's time to start choir rehearsal let's say and i got people coming in late well okay i'm my first thought back in the early days was, "Hey, is there time more precious than all these people that came on time?" No, um, they. And then you know, it didn't. When I hit thirty, something happened to me. I started caring more about the reason why they were late, instead of the fact that they were. Hmm. And I've always told my boys, Gary, you'll remember me always saying this that. It, it's it's the people the 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 people the people is the cake the music is just the icing and it, you need it both so yeah yeah I was very the the I, at first I was thinking about my music like most 20 25 year olds I was trying to build a program but it was something that uh really came onto to me. How that uh, you start, you love love people, they love you back. And it was very important to me to see that they were glad what they were doing. And people wanted to be used. People wanted to be participating. And it was something that we just continually worked on. And it sure helped me to work when I thought about the people.
0: Hmm. Here's another offstage impact quote from Dwight Durbin people will tolerate your shortcomings because they know you love them absolutely they
1: forgive me so many times they've done things for me and people will do things for you they won't do for a purpose or a program they'll do something for you personally and so i always you know i always approach it personally would you help me with this Not that our church needs this, but they already, that's going to be understood. I can explain that. But to get specific, I really need your help and to
0: implement this or to do this or, yeah. Here's an onstage impact. And this is a thought or really an example uh, you showed me. But you connected with the congregation during the song, you got them singing. There was passion, there was engagement. With the congregation during your songs i always believed that it you you wanted the level of worship
1: to ring the bell in the auditorium i felt the more participation and the more enthusiasm the more worship could happen and was happening but sometimes you know uh you could lead you could lead one song and then maybe a month later you lead the same song and you not have the same result. But my my idea was to communicate to the people how important it was to be excited about what they were singing and think about the words and enjoy the ride with the music. I always thought that that was very important. And sometimes I felt like I had to work on the platform to get the level to where I felt like there was energy uh again without losing sight of the worship it's hard to take performance out of it because if it doesn't sound good people aren't going to
0: want to be involved in it (laughs) yeah we talk about that uh with my team you know it's like you don't want to be a performer but at the same time there's no good reason to to not do your best with music and it can bad music can be a distraction as much as great music can be an inspiration to people so i always felt you could have a
1: you could you you, you can have a good church without good music but you can't i don't think you can have a great church without good music hmm. you know it's it sets the stage you know for the pastor and makes his job a lot easier to walk in that pulpit i always felt like Pastors should have the freedom after the end of the music program to walk to the pulpit and give an invitation. Hmm. I wanted them to focus so much on what was being sung and who who we were singing about Hmm. that the focus would forget what they left in the car and on the way to church and such that they could focus on. Obviously, pastors don't do that. They have a message prepared, but I wanted them to have... The congregation to have a mindset that would be, I guess, open to what the pastor was going to bring. Hmm.
0: That's good. Well, you have had different titles: music minister, dr- choir director, uh, minister of music. Um, did you ever have like a title with the worship title in it? I can't remember. <laughs> I remember my first uh, years
1: and as as a as the music director of the church. I was always called the song leader. Yeah, and uh, I then then, you know I never got before I I got out of full time. I never got to the media arts (laughs) fancy
0: term. No one would let you edit videos. (laughs) (laughs) No, the worship worship leader. Um, depend a lot of times it
1: depend on the, the ministry you were at or in or you know, visiting, singing and they'll introduce you as the music director at such and such church, or in later years it was the worship pastor or the worship leader uh at such and such church. Yeah. The title to me was you know, I always felt like I was the second man, no matter how many associates were on staff. I always felt like I was one of the second men. Hmm. Because uh, an old old music uh, mentor of mine, Earl Smith, he always said, you're not number one on staff. The pastor's number one, but you're number one in your field. If you weren't number one in your field, then somebody else would be doing it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, you've had different titles and... More importantly, you've been in different eras. I mean, you basically, you've led worship in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. So as worship leaders today, listen to this interview, listen to this episode. What would be some advice you'd give them? Because you can give them advice, even though you're not full time anymore. You still lead worship at times at different churches in in your retirement years now. But what is some advice that you would give if you could just sit down with a young worship leader right now. I think I think
1: the biggest thing is number 1 don't forget where you came from. Uh, don't get don't take yourself too seriously. And think about those that are all around you as you worship. Don't ever lose sight of that. Uh fact that God has given you every ability that you have and um, I guess really approach the, the platform as humbly as possible because people will walk away thinking about you as somebody that wasn't into yourself as much as when you're a humble person they'll They'll remember you as that person, and they're more receptive if you have a humble spirit. I've felt like I'm—I'm I'm almost seventy years old, and I feel like that I'm still learning, and I don't want to ever quit learning.
0: Well, i I love that. I love the uh, the the advice and the message and the hearts and the the. Uh, yeah, the message of humility, because you know the opposite of that is pride, and us worship leaders can definitely be susceptible to that. We've got well, to
1: absolutely, Gary, and we're the most visible ministry in the church. I mean, children's ministry. We could go on down the line. There's all kinds of ministries in the church, but we we got half of that service that we're before those people, and. We share that time with the pastor who's bringing the message, who's God's, you know, under shepherd for the people, and uh, so I don't take that lightly. Uh,
0: that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to end this episode by just reading something that I wrote to you, and uh, and I think it's um, fitting, you know, as we celebrate Father's Day. This is something I just sat down and typed out, so I'm just going to read it. Full-time worship ministry on stage for you is over. You, you don't do that anymore full-time, but I believe you will always minister. After you left full-time ministry, you took care of your parents, which is my grandparents, for several years. During that time, I watched you naturally minister to people you worked with, people you went to church with. Even other staff guys who just needed someone who could uh, relate and understand. And you ministered to me during that time because I got a divorce. Um, And that showed me that parenting and ministry actually never ends. Uh, So thank you. Thanks for uh, being an amazing example of someone who really and truly is more than a worship leader. You've loved people more than the stage. Uh, you faithfully served pastors and churches, and you've mentored a bunch of guys in ministry. And most importantly, you've been an amazing dad. So Thank you, son. And uh, I talk about you all the time. I, sh- I should
1: say I speak of you, but <laughs> I am absolutely proud of what uh, what God has done with you and has continued to do with you now and watching you continue to grow and become a leader
0: that you are. Well, thanks dad. Happy Father's Day. My dad is one of those people who is loved by so many. And the reason is, is that he has loved so many people, not with an agenda to magnify himself, but to truly minister to them and impact them with the love of God. As a minister and worship leader, he was a great example of not promoting himself, but prompting the congregation to look to God during a song. That's a great goal for all of us who have a leadership position in a church. Here's what I said about this in my book. Our lives are the one shot we have been given to do good for God's kingdom. We've got to guard ourselves against becoming an object of people's affection. Instead, let's influence them to worship God with their whole heart and make him the object of their affection. You know, when I retire, I hope I can look back and see similar results as my dad's ministry. I hope we can all look back and say that it wasn't so much about our music, but it was about people and the glory of God. Because like my dad said, God has given you every ability you have. May we use our gifts to serve others with a heart of worship. Stay tuned for the next episode of the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. I'd greatly appreciate you subscribing and sharing. Thanks for listening.